let's talk today about Philippians. We are in a series called No Matter What, and we're doing this because we see some principles in the book of Philippians that Paul really encourages us to do no matter what. No matter what comes our way, he's encouraging us to do these things, so we're going to talk about those. I was thinking this week about... Um, uh, uh, just things that kids say and things that happen. And, and I was reminded of this uh, one youth group where the uh, Sunday school teacher was uh, talking about palindromes. I don't know if you know what palindromes are, but palindromes are words or sentences that are the same read forward and backward. And uh, the Sunday school teacher asked the, uh, the teenagers, what is the first thing that Adam said to Eve? And of course, what the teacher was expecting was the answer, Madam, I'm Adam. Because that's the same backwards and forwards. But you've got to be careful when you ask teenagers these kinds of questions. Because again, she asked these teenagers, what is the first thing Adam said to Eve? And what's the answer? It has to be a palindrome. And of course, one of the young men said, wow! Now, on a side note, this week, Derek and I were moving around a bunch of files on some computers because we're moving some computers here at the church and stuff. And he said, hey, I was listening to the beginning of some of your sermons back three, four, five, six years ago. You know, your jokes used to be really funny. <laughs> but his review's coming up soon, so we'll talk about that. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Oh, that was really a funny conversation we had. Hey, listen, we are in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. Uh, I want you to really uh, focus here. This is not going to be a long sermon, folks, but there's some really important principles here. Some really important principles that I think as Christians, we either forget sometimes or maybe we don't really understand completely at times. And I want us to get a handle on these because they're really uh, pretty important. And so let's just read through the passage and then we'll come back and take it piece by piece. Uh, but I want you to see Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. Again, this is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi, and here's what he says to them. He says, not that I have already obtained this. Now, let's stop right there for a minute. If you remember, last week, uh, Paul is talking in reference to the idea of being righteous. And last week, uh, when James uh, preached, he talked about verses 1 through 11, and in those verses, Paul talks about how faith in Christ is the only way to connect with God. No resume, no matter how religious you are, no experiences, no matter how religious you are, connects you to God, only faith in Jesus Christ. And so he's talking about that in reference to that, and that'll help you uh, pick it up where we are. So he says then, not that I have already obtained this, that righteousness, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body 
by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, there's four main principles I see that he's, he's showing us here about righteousness. And the first one is this. Fulfill the righteousness by which we have been declared righteous. Now, a lot of you are probably going, oh my goodness, he's already double speaking. I don't even understand where we are. I'm already lost. Don't get lost yet, okay? What he's saying here is fulfill the righteousness in our behavior, in our thinking, by which we have already been declared righteous before God. Go back to verses 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this. He's saying, I don't don't have it yet. I haven't actually become righteous yet fully, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So he's talking in reference to righteousness. Now let's think back historically to righteousness for a minute, because I think that will help us uh, kind of understand what he's saying here. Adam and Eve were created without sin, but they chose to sin and to bring sin upon us all. After years of lawlessness, a man uh, doing whatever was right in his own eyes, God gives the law to Moses, uh, the Ten Commandments and the law. Instead of the law giving man, there's a lot of misunderstanding about the law. Instead of the law giving man the blueprint to be righteous so that he does become righteous, he is given the blueprint to be righteous so that he can comprehend his inability to be righteous. Okay, the the Ten Commandments were not given so the man would understand, I'll do these ten things and then I'll be righteous before God. Because you can't do them. Nobody can do them. The Ten Commandments were given specifically uh, for the purpose of showing man what it would take to be righteous so that mankind would basically go, God have mercy on me, a sinner, because I can't live up to the standard. I can't live up to the standard. Then Christ, the Son of God, comes to earth And he lives a perfect life, fulfilling all parts of the law. Now, through his death, burial, and resurrection, he gives us the opportunity to receive credit for his perfect life and allow his payment to discharge our debt of a sinful life and be declared righteous. So there's a couple of different things going on here. And that's why it sounds like doublespeak. There is our declaration of being called righteous because the blood of Christ covers our sins if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus to forgive our sins. And then there is the act of actually being righteous, which we are not capable of doing, but which we should strive to do. Paul's stating here that since we who are Christians have been given the privilege of being declared righteous, we should attempt to live in a way that appreciates the cost of that gift. Now think about that for a minute. Now think about it this way. When a child turns 16, when these, these children up here turn 16 and their parents buy them a brand new car, uh, yeah, there's always some, or some other parents do, uh, the kids usually take one of two approaches to that, right? I don't know if you really paid attention, but, but kids usually take one of two approaches. They either drive recklessly, they don't take care of the car, 
they basically take it for granted because they don't really appreciate it. They're just kind of spoiled brats. Or they drive it very carefully. They maintain all the parts. They park it away from other cars. And they take really, really good care of it because they really, really appreciate it. What Paul's saying here, folks, is, you know what? Uh, Our salvation is a lot the same way. He says, we should be wanting to grow in righteousness. We should be wanting to grow to become more like Christ in every way because of the incredible cost God has paid for our salvation. But if we who have claimed Christ, if those of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior, uh, we act like spoiled brats and we do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, but we still claim that we've received this gift from God, we are really acting like spoiled brats. We're saying, God, we got the gift from you, but now we're going to abuse it. Now we're going to misuse it. It's not going to change who we are. I'm going to do my own thing. I would challenge you to find somebody in the New Testament that receives Christ that way. Look at some of Paul's statements in this passage. He says, I haven't yet attained this righteousness. He's talking about actual righteousness in behavior. He's not talking about being declared righteous. He has already been declared righteous by the blood of Christ. But he hasn't actually achieved uh, righteousness in his behavior. But he says, I press on toward it. He doesn't say, I, I go on toward it. He says, I press. It's, it's gritting your teeth. Man, I'm, I'm going for it. I gotta do better. I gotta do better. That's what he's saying. Not to earn anything from God, not to earn God's love, not to earn God's acceptance. We've received all of God's love and acceptance we could ever get. But he's saying, I appreciate the gift so much, I want to use it to its fullest. He says, I try to be righteous, make it my own, because Jesus has already made me righteous by declaring it so, by his crucifixion, making me his own. That's what he's talking about there, making me his own. Then he says, one thing I do is forget the past where I have failed and been a miserable failure, and I press on toward the goal, Christ-likeness. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. Let's just pause. Folks, I want to encourage you. There's a lot of folks in this room that I know pretty well, and I want to challenge you today to stop letting guilt and past failures and the ghosts of your past keep you from moving forward and becoming more like Jesus. Stop it. Don't put up with it anymore. Don't listen to the, those demonic voices in your head that say, you can never amount to anything. I know what you've done. I know who you've been. I know what you did in college. I know what you did behind your parents' backs. I know what you did in your first marriage, in your second marriage. I know what you've done behind your... I mean, listen, folks, when we hear those things, that's, that's, not, that's not beneficial to us. That's not the Spirit of God beating us up about the past. God doesn't do that. The Bible says that when we receive Christ as our Savior, He removes our sins as far as the East is from the West. Now, I love that. Because it doesn't say north and south. You know, north and south has a distance to it. If I stand on the North Pole and I travel south, when I get to the South Pole, I'm at the end. And there is a specific distance. And if I was really a good pastor, I would have looked it up this week and impressed you with my knowledge. But if I stand on the equator and I say, okay, here's my sins. Now I'm going to go as far as the east is from the west. Now I'm going to travel east. 
And when I get to the end, that's how far God has removed my sins from me. I'm going to be traveling east a long, 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 long time. Because I'll circle the globe a million times and have just gotten started. Now the Bible says that's how far God has removed our sins from us. Why in the world do we keep bringing them up to ourselves and live in this terrible guilt-ridden place where we can't be who God really wants us to be? Forget that. Put it behind you. Press on toward the goal of being like Jesus and let all that stuff from the past fall by the wayside, folks. Then he says, if you're mature, I want you to think this way. What way is he talking about? He said, immature believers just enjoy the declaration of being righteous without any feeling of responsibility towards God's grace. Now listen, I, listen I, it's a long time ago that I received Christ as my Savior. I was 12 years old, a long time ago. I don't remember what it was like right after I did that, okay? Um, but, but if I were a person today who received Christ as my Savior, I could, I could be tempted to do this. Just be, just, I'm just going to celebrate it, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Being really grateful, and just, just stay there for a really, 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 really long time. But what Paul's saying is, don't just, don't just bask in the, in the you know, goodness and, and grace of God forever. Mature believers recognize God's sacrificial gift and Jesus' sacrificial obedience, and they want to live with a response that shows that appreciation. That's what it means to be mature in your thinking about righteousness. Now, one of the things that you, I hope, will never hear from this pulpit, from this, from this place right up here, is the phrase, once saved, always saved. I hope you never hear that here. Now, while we believe that the Bible teaches very specifically in eternal security, we believe the Bible teaches that once a person receives Christ as your Savior, you give your life to Him, you are born into the family of God, as it says in John chapter 3, you can never be divorced from the family of God. You are born into his family. You are his child forever, and not even you can change that. However, the reason you won't hear it expressed that way here is because I think it expresses a cheapness. Hey, once saved, always saved. Just come, pray the prayer on the back of this track, and everything will be, be okay. Folks, we've got to be careful we don't... And listen, it's not a cheap thing. It's easy to receive Christ but it's incredibly costly. It costs us our entire lives. It costs God's son Jesus his entire life. It is not a cheap thing. We need to, be, need to be careful not to express it cheaply. It's very easy to put your faith and trust in Jesus, but it's not cheap. And if anybody outside these walls thinks that we come to church every week as Christians because we think we're perfect now, and we're showing everybody else by coming to church that we're perfect. That's just a ridiculous notion. Now, I know some of my friends who are far from God, they think that. Oh, Michael, you go to church every Sunday there just because you think you've got it all. No, I'm, it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. I go to church because I know I'm a knucklehead. And, and I can't get things right. And I can't do what I know God wants me to do all the time. And I come here to show my appreciation and worship the God who sent his son to die for me and appreciate what he has done. I come here to love him and serve him and give to him and follow him in a response of appreciation for the sacrifice God has done for me, not to get something. Folks, we need to think about that. 
When our friends talk that way, we need to correct them. Say, no, 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 we don't, we don't all think we're perfect. Listen, if I thought I was perfect, I'd just stop coming to church. I wouldn't need to come here anymore. I'd have it all figured out. Okay? So this is a place for people that don't have it figured out, but are still loving the gift God has given and following him. Then we see the second principle here in this passage, which is choose to follow good disciples and be one to others. Look what it says in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now that might on the surface seem a little bit egotistical. Hey brothers, you just join in imitating me. And it can be spoken that way, but that's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying, hey, don't follow Jesus, follow me. He's not saying that. He's not saying, come follow me because I've got it perfect. In fact, he just said twice, I don't have it all figured out yet. I don't have it perfect. What he is saying is, come and follow me because I know I am running this race after God's righteousness with gusto. Man, I am giving it my all. I am, I am straining. I am straining to find my, the righteousness of God in my life. And I want you to come and follow me as I do it. I want you to come and watch me do it. See, Jesus is no longer here on the earth for us to see, except in the church. But we are as individuals here to see. Now, there are examples of people around us who are running the race better than we are. We should learn from them. We should be discipled by people who are running the spiritual race better than we are. Not perfect, but better. And I know because Satan likes to whisper to us, there's nobody here you can invest in. There's nobody here you can learn from. Listen, if we put everybody's spiritual life at Fellowship of Grace on a continuum, there'd be one person at the top and one person at the bottom. I don't know who they'd be, but here's what I'm telling you. There's only two people in this whole church that don't have somebody who's either a little farther down the path or a little bit behind them. Only two. My guess is you're probably not one of the two. Okay? And so, uh, uh, listen, find somebody that you can invest in and bring them along. Find somebody you can learn from and learn from them. Be discipled by them. Paul's not saying, hey, I've got it all figured out, but he is saying, come and do this. Listen, this just makes sense to me, okay? I'm not going to take bowling lessons from somebody whose average score is 56, and neither would you, right? You want somebody in the 250s, I think. I'm not really a bowler, but I think that's who you I think it's right. Okay? I'm not going to learn how to do virtually anything in life from someone who has not mastered it at some level or is making progress in that area of life, and neither would you. You wouldn't want to learn to be a bodybuilder by following somebody that didn't watch what they ate and never exercised, would you? Of course not. Now, one of the things about the gym that I think is pretty interesting is you can go to the gym and you can go, okay, there's three guys over there that I could probably learn a lot from. There's people like here that can learn a lot from me, even in my shape. Look at them. They're worse off than I am. You know, there's, depending on what gym you go to. Okay? Paul's saying, hey, listen, uh, come to the church and look around in the spiritual gym. Look around in the spiritual gym. Yeah, you're going to see some people that you go, you know what, I could probably help them. I'm going to invest in them. And then you're going to see people that go, wow, look at that dude. He, he's got some spiritual muscle there. I want to learn from that guy. I'm going to spend time with him. I'm going to be a disciple by that guy or that woman. He's saying, look around. Find somebody with spiritual muscles and follow them. Learn from them. 
be discipled by them, just like he was saying to do it uh, for him. But folks, he is also implying, be somebody like that so others can learn from you. Listen, others need somebody to follow. So be that someone that others can follow and learn from and grow from and be more Christ-like from. Then the third principle we see here is that those focused on earthly things are enemies of Christ. Paul does not mince words here, folks. He does not mince words. Look at verses 18 and 19. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Here Paul repeats a thought that he previously expressed that those who are not followers of Jesus are far from God and they face an end that is tragic. In fact, it's so tragic, he says, I'm talking about it, I'm writing it down. Even now as I write it, my, my eyes are welling up with tears. There are people that have decided to reject Jesus as their Savior. There are people who have decided to be religious instead of put their faith and trust in Jesus. There are people who have decided to try and be righteous on their own instead of put their faith and trust in Jesus. There are people who have chosen a different path for whatever reason, different than the path of putting your faith and trust in Jesus. And Paul's saying, listen, these people are enemies of Christ. And even writing it down, it causes me to well up with tears because my heart breaks for them. Folks, when's the last time? When's the last time that you wept you wept over a friend or a neighbor or a loved one that you knew was still far from God. Folks, that, that is a big, big deal. That should bother us. We need to stop going to every single funeral in the city saying, well, at least they're in a better place. Maybe they aren't. Maybe they aren't. We've got to stop saying those things, thinking those things. Folks, only those who will put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior are in a better place. And Paul's saying, listen, I can't even write this without putting, getting tears in my eyes. We should think about that. Now, Easter's coming up, and the number one reason People say they don't come to churches because nobody's ever invited them. It's the number one reason. But by the way, in every survey, it's by far the biggest reason. It's like, you know, 86% of people say that's the reason they don't come to church. Nobody's ever invited me. It's not like, you know, 65 and 40 and, you know, it's like way at the top of the charts. Don't let your friends and loved ones be separated from God forever because you simply didn't invite them to church to hear the gospel. If you, can't, if you can't share it with them yourself, which you should be able to do, bring them here. We'll talk about that strategy in April. Okay? Uh, he describes these people as enemies of the cross and he characterizes them by three specific embodiments and I want us to think about this because I think when we look at this, we're going to go, man, people come to my mind. He said their God is their belly. He says, listen, uh, they, they just have these worldly passions for whatever they want. They have an eat, drink, and be merry uh, belief system. Uh, they want to just do whatever they want to do. They, they crave, they desire, they lust, they want, they envy. 
They want it all. We all know people like that. He says their glory is their shame. This is an interesting phrase. What he's saying is what they glory in right now is going to be the thing that brings them shame when Jesus comes back. Now, when I read that this week and I began to study it and, and, and really understand and learn what it meant, hundreds and hundreds of Facebook pictures came into my mind. All of my friends from high school, from college, from churches, from bands, from whatever, and it seems to be really popular to go to some bar somewhere and drink yourself into oblivion and then get with somebody else who's drunk themselves into oblivion and take a little selfie, hey, look at us, and then they post it for God and everybody to see. Now, folks, they're glorying in that lifestyle right now. But they won't glory in that when Jesus comes back. I can't even remember of the last time I saw two Christians with their Bibles open go, hey, look at this, hey, selfie. Now, that might be kind of goofy. I don't know if that's really a good idea or not. People think we've lost our minds. But I'm just saying, folks, what Paul's saying here is, listen, the things that they're glorying in now, they won't. The thought is, You're a teenager doing something terribly vile in your room and your parents open the door. Wow. The thing you glory in now will bring you shame later. Then he says their minds are set on earthly things. They are consumed with the temporary instead of the eternal. They are consumed with the size house they have or how many cars they have or what they're doing or or being... uh, in every sports event or whatever they're doing earthly, they're consumed by that. They don't have any thought for the eternal. And Paul says their end is destruction. Now, that's not literally being destroyed and no longer existing. We know in context that that destruction is the sense of a life full of complications because of your sinfulness and an eternity separated from God. We should do some weeping between now and Easter. For the people that God has in our spheres of influence who will die without him unless we tell them about Jesus. Finally, Paul says, those who are in Jesus Christ are already citizens of heaven. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. He says, but our citizenship, he's making a contrast now, that's what's going to happen to them. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Notice the tense. I'm going to go back. Look at this. He does not say, but our citizenship will be in heaven. He does not say, but our citizenship is waiting for us in heaven. He says, our citizenship is currently in heaven. It's current. Folks, he's helping us. He's trying to help us understand that this is not future. This is not something that's coming. This is not something that's on its way. It's currently already happened. We are not citizens of this planet. We are just visiting here. We are on vacation from our home. That's it. This is not where we're going to live out eternity. If we know Jesus, this is not our home. Now, I think we should maybe pass these out to everybody who becomes a Christian at our church. 
This is a little passport to heaven. And there's got to be a, there's this church somewhere that made these, you know, and we should give these to people when they, so they can understand this principle that when you give your life to Jesus, you now have, a, a, you know, I guess you're still, I guess you're duly aligned, a dual citizenship as an American. I don't want to say you're not an American anymore, but you are first and foremost a citizen of heaven. Now, this is a sweet lady here, Deborah Kalinowski, who gave her life to Jesus in May of 2007. And she's got her passport there to heaven. Now, she's got a little bit of a problem doctrinally because I think it expires in 2014. So that's a, that's, that's a little bit of a problem there. I think they just cut and pasted some pieces on there. We'd have to put eternity there. But, but I think it'd be good for us to kind of give these out to people so we can really understand this process, wouldn't it? This is a truth, folks. This is a biblical truth that already exists. Listen, we should think and act as though we are already a citizen of heaven because we, uh, if we have committed our lives to God through Jesus Christ, that is just a truth that exists. That's just one more reason that Paul gives us to pursue righteousness because we are citizens of heaven, not earth. Folks, we got to do this no matter what. Listen, I know that all of our lives are in different places. We've got kids at all stages, grandkids at all stages. Some of us are single, married, divorced, widowed, widower, all those things. We're at different ages. We're at different economic positions. We've got different uh, kinds of jobs. We're different in a lot of different ways. But folks, one way that we're all the same, if we have given our lives to Jesus, is that we are citizens of heaven and we have been declared righteous. We should attempt to live righteously. We should attempt to appreciate the gift and live it out instead of take it for granted and just do what we want to do and be, in essence, a spiritual spoiled brat. Now, folks, as I prepared for this, I was convicted. I was convicted by the fact that, yes, I pursue righteousness, but am I constantly, do I constantly have my teeth grit pursuing, chasing after, running after, uh, doing this above everything else, pursuing being godly and being Jesus to the world? The answer is probably not. Well, the answer is no. no. But you know what? (laughs) I'm committed to doing it. I am committed to doing it. I am committed to making the changes in my life to be the kind of man who will pursue it and grit my teeth no matter what and pursue being more like Jesus. Will you come with me? Will you please come with me? Let's see what God will do with a church full of people in Parkville that don't just sit around and bask in the grace of Jesus saying, that's cool, Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me my sins. I'm just going to hang out here until life is over. Instead of doing that, let's really pursue righteousness and godliness and Christ-likeness to the point that the world sees we're different. Not because we want to lift ourselves up, but we want them to see that Jesus in us makes a difference. And we just want to please him and appreciate the gift he has given us. Will you do that with me? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful for your love and your mercy and your grace for your patience with us. Oh, God, your patience with us is incredible. Father, forgive me, forgive us for the times that we have been lazy, 
for the times that we have been lax, for the times that we have decided that what we want to do is more important than being more like you. God, help us. Help us to get over uh, the, the ways that we have failed you in the past and help us press on to the future to be everything that you created us to be. God, we love you. And yes, there is part of us that just loves basking in the forgiveness that we receive from putting our faith and trust in Jesus. But God, help us not to stay there too long. Help us to really get into the game and, and really press on to becoming more godly, to becoming a better reflection of you. God, help me to become less me and more you. Help our church to be filled with people that are wanting and willing to do this so that you can change our community through us. We love you. We thank you for the gift. Help us live out a life of appreciation instead of irresponsibility as spoiled brats. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.